So it's a, it's a great science, this Krishna consciousness. But it's, it is that. It is a science. All these different personalities, places, manifestations of, of the Lord are there to, uh, to help us advance spiritually. And just as he quickly went through the pranams, we could spend days on every one of these individuals. The glories of Haridas Thakur, the unlimited uh, contribution of the Goswamis. Krishna consciousness is a great science. And you would say, well, so every religious tradition has its, its saints, its sages, it, their holy places. They all do, and it's a fact. And they're all for the upliftment of mankind. What we are required to do is we need to discriminate. We, we have to make some discrimination as to what religious practice is going to be most beneficial and give us the most perfect conception of the Supreme Lord. Every religion has a conception of God. In some religions, the conception of God is, is an old man with a long white beard who sits on a throne and passes judgment on humanity. And that's certainly a, an aspect of the supreme. The other conception, there's, there's a great tradition now on this planet, uh, the conception of a form of the Lord, a manifestation of the Lord, who came down both as father and son and relieves mankind of their sins. And we see even in that tradition there are unlimited, well, not unlimited, but it seems unlimited when you go to a city and every, every uh, you know, village and city in the country and you see different churches and they all are side by side in one city. There's so many different conceptions of that one conception of God or the Son of God or the Son and Father combined or whatever the conception is. So every religion is there and they have their conception. Intelligently, we have to determine what is that conception of the Supreme Lord which is the most advantageous for me in, in loving the Lord or in relieving myself from material misery or for whatever reason we want to worship God. If we want to worship God, there's also the church of atheism. <laughs> they have their conception. There is no God. Intelligence means we seek out that highest conception and we pursue that understanding. Krishna consciousness tells us there comes a time in every living entity's especially those living entities who advanced to the human form of life, they develop through descending mercy unknown benefits. They accrue these. These are called sukriti. Unbeknownst to us, we may do something very favorable to our spiritual life. We may offer some donation. We may offer some charity. We may do something... Uh, to a representative of the Supreme Lord or to even the Supreme Lord personally who we may not recognize as God but we may perform something and that benefits 
our spiritual advancement. Now we're going to see in Bhagavad Gita tonight, one of the verses speaks to this fact that this benefit we receive from performing some spiritual piety, spiritual piety is distinct from material piety. In the material world, we may do good or bad. We may do something for someone's benefit or we may do something for one for someone's detriment and for our benefit. In other words, we may exploit someone else for me. I mean mine. Or we may do we may help an old lady across the street or we may, you know, we may do so many things. But those things are generally just in relationship to material involvement. We call that karma, good karma or bad karma. And when we do something good, it's a pious act and we get a, a result. We may help the old lady across the street and by doing so, we may not get hit by a car that we were supposed to or uh, sometime and we can't walk across the street. Somebody may take our arm and give us a hand. But spiritual piety, uh, sukriti, that may come to us unbeknownst. And we understand from the Veda and from the Vaishnav tradition of religious practice that if we, ha if we have such good fortune and there is a whole multitude of good fortune available to mankind unbeknownst to them, all the respects that we offer in these prayers after we chant together, all these that we offer speak to that Sukriti. We acknowledge that we are getting unlimited help in all kinds of forms. We're getting unlimited help in the forms of places of pilgrimage and holy rivers, as Krishnanam said, in the great saints of the tradition, the Guru Parampara, in the Lord manifesting his deity form, in the Lord coming in so many incarnations, and especially and foremost, we're getting so much help from Krishna's devotees. And of course, the topmost devotees, the Paramahansas, those distinctions. Jayam Vishnupad, Paramahansa, Paravakacharya, Astatara, Sata Shishimad, A.C. Bhaktivedanta, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. Great saintly people coming one after another after another, keeping this tradition of pure spiritual knowledge alive. At a certain point, there are a few, and Krishna speaks to this, and we'll study it later in Bhagavad Gita, very wise individuals out of many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. Some become wise by this Ashnata Sukriti. Unbeknownst to them, they've done something that's giving them, given them some pure spiritual piety. And that pure spiritual piety brings them to the point of recognizing the highest conception of the Supreme Lord. And they gradually engage in activities of hearing, shravanam, beginning with shravanam, hearing, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu. They gradually begin a process that lets them take full advantage of that piety and properly understand who's God, what exactly are his characteristics, 
Who am I? What exactly are my characteristics? And on and on. And that's Bhagavad Gita. We study Bhagavad Gita. We have so much immense literature. When he said, where do I start with the Goswamis? Well, I wouldn't know where to be. Where do we begin with the Goswamis? What the contribution they've given to humanity. It's hard to even begin. <laughs> you could spend a whole life just studying the Sandarbhas of Jiva and not even begin to touch the depth of, of transcendental knowledge there. What to speak of uh, just the one book of uh, Rupa Goswami, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, as he said, the, the, the handbook of Krishna consciousness, the law book, full of knowledge of the transcendental loving relationships and ecstasies that one will gradually elevate themselves to as they purify the heart. And the, the I mean, we have no conception. Here in the world, all, all we know is we say, we love somebody. That's what we say. Well, I love you. Yeah, how do you love me? How do you express your love? How do you experience that love? You're saying you love me, that means you're getting something. What are you getting? How do you get it? What's it taste like? Does it make you feel great? Is it wonderful? Does it make you, make you feel sad? Rupa Goswami <laughs> has taken this word love in Sanskrit, it's called prema. And he's broken it down analytically into all the different various transcendental tastes that we experience in loving exchange with the Lord and how they mix together, what are matched, what aren't matched, what are the five primary stai bhavas, relationships with God, what are the vaivachari bhakti? What are the, the different things that, that, that come up from time to time? Anger, wonder. Uh, you could spend a lifetime studying this one literature and still, I mean, dive deeper. It's, this particular literature is divided into four oceans. Each one of the oceans is unlimited in transcendental knowledge. Anyway, we need to do a little Bhagavad Gita this evening. Last week I left off reading a, uh, a very nice explanation from the uh, commentary of B.V. Triparari uh, Swami uh, to, the, to the 39th verse. And I really, I want to read this to you if you don't have this edition of Bhagavad Gita because it gives us such a, it gives such a nice succinct breakdown of the coming study of Bhagavad Gita. How the Bhagavad Gita from this point begins to develop the themes that are important for us to understand and how all of these themes come together and culminate in a deep understanding of the underlying principle of bhakti or love. The whole text of Bhagavad Gita is meant to bring us to the platform of, of surrendering in full love to the Supreme Lord. Sarva Dharmam Purichaja. I want to read this to you and go over a little of it. This is to the 39th verse. So the 39th verse is, I have spoken to you of how to use wisdom in Sankhya. Now hear about wisdom in yoga. 
So sankhya is just knowledge, analytical knowledge. And that's those verses we went over last week from the 12th verse to the 30th verse of the second chapter are those verses which give us an analytical breakdown of what is matter and what is spirit and what are the specific characteristics of the soul and how you distinguish what is the soul and what is your activity in the material body which is not really of your spiritual nature. But we have to keep the body and, and uh, together. We're in it. It's our, it's our current home. So it's not looked at neglectfully, but in life you need to be able to to distinguish between what is body and what is soul, especially in times of distress and especially in times where introspection is required in order to know the proper course of action in life. And that's basically where Arjuna is. I need some knowledge to, sh- to, to I'm having, I'm confused. Should I fight? Should I not fight? What do I do here? Do I, do I fight with people that were my teachers? Do I fight with my kinsmen? Uh, you're telling me to fight, but is this really the best for me? Is it religious or is it dharmic or is it arthi, you know, artha? W- what is it? I have spoken to you of how to use wisdom in Sankhya. For the soul, there's never birth nor death, nor having once been, does he ever cease to be, can never be withered by the wind. So many things for the soul. Now hear about the wisdom of yoga. And the yoga that Krishna is speaking to Arjuna about here is the yoga of activity. In yoga, we, we perform some action. The specific action is karmic activity, But let me tell you about doing what you have to do in this world. Like for you, Arjuna, you have to fight. Let me tell you about doing it. But doing it in the consciousness of a yogi. And the consciousness of a yogi is, let me do this just because I have to do this as a matter of duty, but not with an attitude of exploitation. With this wisdom, Arjuna you will free yourself from the bondage resulting from karma. This is the commentary of uh, Swami Tripurari, and it really it gives us a concise roadmap from this point up through, I believe, he, it basically covers up through the end of the first six chapters. Remember, the, the Bhagavad Gita, really you can look at it as three different distinct sections. The first six chapters, the middle heart of the Bhagavad Gita, and the last six chapters. Reading here. However, here Krishna realizes that Arjuna is not capable of assimilating knowledge of the self without undergoing actions that will purify his heart. For he is absorbed in worldly concerns, even though religious in nature. Make sense? Arjuna, his concerns, what he voiced was worldly. Should I kill this one? Should I not kill that one? Religious concerns. Teacher, don't want to kill anybody. Don't want to kill family members. With that kind of a consciousness, when Krishna said, for the soul there's never birth nor death, nor was it ever ceased to be, it's unborn, ever existing, undying, it can't be withered by the wind. All this knowledge of Sankhya, 
of what is matter and what is spirit, when we're attached to our material circumstance, hearing those things, it might be pleasing to understand, yes, I realize this position of the soul, but can I really act day in and day out and employ that knowledge fully? And here Triparari is saying, no, you can't do that when there's too much attachment. And I, and Krishna is perceiving in Arjuna such attachment. So the expert spiritual master, which Krishna is assumed that position at this point in his relationship with Arjuna, the expert spiritual master, he, he readjusts things according to the time, place, and mentality of his disciple. Thus he advises him to engage in yoga. Here the word yoga implies the spirit of yoga, selflessness and sacrifice, the mother of love. While action in relation to sense objects with a view to enjoy them gives rise to karmic bondage, one cannot artificially divorce oneself from action itself. Indeed, as we shall see, such artificiality in yoga is condemned. It is in its stead, Krishna recommends proper action in the spirit of detachment. He tells Arjuna that by acting in yoga, he will free himself from the bondage of karma and realize the self that is intellectually understood through the introspection involved in Sankhya. We read that twice last week too. I'll read it again because it's so much in that one sentence. He tells Arjuna that by action in yoga, he will free himself from the bondage of karma and realize the self that is intellectually understood through introspection involved in Sankhya. In order to advance ourselves in spiritual knowledge, transcendental knowledge, we have to work in the world without attachment. Niskarma, karma yoga. Niskarma. Do your work, do your karma, do your day-to-day activity. Niskarma, without attachment. Nis, no attachment. Do it, but don't be attached to the result. Niskarma, karma, yoga. And realize the self that is intellectually understood through introspection involved in Sankhya. What doing, in doing this karma, karma, yoga, in doing your action, your dharma, your activities in this world, by doing them without attachment to the result of the activities, the natural consequence, it's a natural consequence. It's a spiritual benefit that comes automatically. It's like taking the medicine that the doctor's given day in and day out. You don't know why it's working, but gradually a disease subsides by following the prescription. So by doing your work without being attached to the fruit, you naturally develop knowledge. That knowledge allows you to understand the inner relationship of ourselves in this world. Sankhya. Krishna gave us an overview of that Sankhya. Understanding that overview is called jnana, knowledge. 
Realizing that knowledge is called vijnana. Knowing it is a fact. It's easy to say as the embodied soul continually passes in this body from you know boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. It sounds great. It makes all the sense in the world. The body we, we give it when we grow old, as we grow old the old, we're still the same person. We still feel the same. We still have that same youthful feeling inside, but the body's so old, so old I can hardly get it across the room. I need my walker. <laughs> but I feel the same. I've grown from boyhood to youth to middle age to old age to barely be able to crawl across the room. I'm still the same. And when I'm done with this body, I take another body. Sounds well and good. Jnana, knowledge. That's knowledge. I believe that knowledge. Vijnana, I realize that knowledge. That's a whole other thing. I actually, by performing this karma, by not being attached to the fruits and working selflessly for the Supreme, by working in that way, that knowledge becomes manifest in the heart as a tangible reality. Experientially, we can understand it as truth. More than faith. We can have faith in knowledge, but when we realize something, it's, it's, it's at an even higher level. We know it beyond, beyond any doubt. It's self-evident. It's, it's true to us. That's what this one sentence means. The detached spirit of this yoga was characterized in the previous verse. With the introduction of yoga in this verse, the Gita begins to speak about experiential spiritual life in practice. We experience spiritual life. It goes beyond the theoretical. It becomes reality to us. It goes beyond just simply a faith. It becomes, could it be any other way? We read Bhagavad Gita and we say, yes. This is right. This is, this is, and we know, we know in our heart, yes, this rings true. Experiential. Beginning here and extending over the next four chapters, Krishna explains gradual steps on the ladder of yoga. From the yoga of selfless action, niskarma, karma yoga, to the yoga of knowledge, jnana yoga, to the yoga of meditation, Dhyana, Astanga Yoga, and culminating in the Yoga of Love, Bhakti Yoga. From this point until the end of chapter 6, Krishna instructs Arjuna about the ideal, well-integrated, enlightened person he wants him to be. A dutiful person whose action is informed by knowledge, who realizes the fruit of such action in the form of inner wisdom, and develop spiritual emotions for God, a devotee of Krishna. As this section begins, Krishna speaks covertly about bhakti and overtly about niskarma, karma, yoga. He hides in the message of niskarma, of detachment, the seed of bhakti, the seed of love. 
He then informs Arjuna that at this time he is only eligible for Niskarma Karma Yoga. In this way, Krishna instructs us through Arjuna that what is achieved through Niskarma Karma Yoga is concomitant to Bhakti Yoga proper. Through the practice of yoga of selfless action, one's heart is purified and knowledge begins to manifest. Knowledge of the self will not manifest in a heart cluttered by material attachment. An inner wisdom in which the spirit self is realized is included within mature bhakti yoga. Krishna repeatedly advises Arjuna that Niskarma Karma Yoga is the best course of action for him at this time. Brought that out early, didn't he? Arjuna, you're not ready for sannyas. <laughs> you think you could run off from the battlefield and go to the... You'll never be able to... It just won't sit right with you. And eventually declares its mature stage to be the synonymous with Yan Yoga. Working with detachment in this world results in spiritual knowledge, gyan. It doesn't require, gyan does not mean that we have to sit down and study 20 hours a day religious scripture to understand spiritual life. Although if you could do that, thumbs up. When you're retired, that's a nice plus. <laughs> To be able to study, read this knowledge continually. But practically speaking, it's very difficult, especially in this age. But simply working in this world with detachment, that same knowledge manifests in your heart. In fact, the knowledge gained by working without attachment is more beneficial to us than that knowledge that book knowledge devoid of devotional practice. You have to work in love to realize love. Simply reading about it again and again, it may not manifest. Of course, here I'm referring to that knowledge derived from the Vedas, which, are, which is independent of the seed of bhakti. There is also that section of the Vedic literatures, which is completely saturated with bhakti. Now, associating with that literature through hearing, that will manifest the seeds of pure devotion. But generally, the majority of Vedic knowledge does not deal with that. And, and that's also will come out in the next few verses. The Karmakanda sections and how those sections eventually culminate in the higher levels of Vedic knowledge in the Upanishads, which is more of the theoretical nature, the Sankhya knowledge, Jnana. As knowledge manifests through Niskarma Karma Yoga, one situated in knowledge becomes qualified to practice meditation. While the fruit of Niskarma Karma Yoga is knowledge of the Brahman feature of the Absolute, the focus of meditation is Jnana Yoga in the Paramatma feature of God. As one realizes this feature of God, one can progress to worship the Bhagavan feature of the Absolute. This worship in Yoga is Bhakti, the final step on the ladder of Yoga discussed in the first six chapters of the Gita.
That said, I need to mention something as to the, the relative position of this text of Bhagavad Gita in time. Bhagavad Gita was spoken 5,000 years ago at the end of uh, Dwarpa Yuga. Since that, speaking of this text of Bhagavad Gita, there has been a profound occurrence in human society. And that is the advent of Krishna 500 years ago as a devotee, Lord Chaitanya. So when we read in Bhagavad Gita about this gradually gradual progression that Krishna is going to put forward, and there's a lot of recommendations there which are, which are full of benefit in our spiritual practice. We should also recognize that there is a significant most, what is it? Namo Mahabharanaya, Krishna Prema Pradayate. It's an unprecedented advantage to us to immediately take advantage of the, here in this purport, this description by Tripurari Swami, he talks about coming to the platform of meditation, step by step. Niskarma Karma Yoga brings us to knowledge. With knowledge, we can become detached. With detachment, we can gradually come to the platform of meditation. We can cut through all of that due to the mercy of Lord Chaitanya in this age, very rare circumstance, and come to the essence of transcendental advancement in spiritual life simply by this chanting of Hare Krishna. don't have to worry about studying all the books. We don't have to worry about this karma, karma, yoga. We don't have to worry about so many things. If we can immediately take to this chanting and sincerely cry out to Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna. If we can take to this chanting, it will immediately bring us to the deepest stage of transcendental meditation on the Supreme and afford us the greatest spiritual benefit. We don't have to go step by step up the yogic ladder. That said, unfortunately for us, we're attached. Therefore, there are practices that we must take up under the direction of the spiritual master that allow this chanting to immediately take effect. Immediately. What do you mean immediately? I just chant Hare Krishna and I'll see God. He'll come to me in a vision. He can. There's no difference between his name and himself. We have to take to the practice of pure devotional service under the direction of the bona fide spiritual master, and we can receive the topmost benefit of this chanting. And the effect is immediate. Although our conditioning does not allow us, and our attachments, and our misconceptions, those are called anarthas, misconceptions, operads, offenses, because we don't know how to properly do this chanting. 
and worship of the Supreme, this meditation, mantra meditation. The yoga ladder can be circumvented to, for the, by immediately taking shelter of Krishna consciousness under the umbrella of Lord Chaitanya's lotus feet. The simple process, chanting, Harinama, 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 Eva Kevala. No other way. In this age, giving up the fruits, this karma, karma, yoga, attaining spiritual knowledge, jnana, meditating, jnana, so difficult for us. But this chanting allows us and gives us the greatest benefit. The difficulty is chanting without offense so that we actually derive the greatest benefit. The bona fide spiritual master can easily point out how we can come to this offenseless platform. And as we strive for that, as we cry out and realize I'm so full of offenses, please, Krishna, you, you, you give me benefit. You have to dance on my tongue. We don't just give lip service to God, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. We beg God, please, you purify me. Your name is non-different. You can do this. That's why you have come as Lord Chaitanya. Now, prove <laughs> your mercy. I'm the most fallen. Show everyone you can make me your devotee. Although Krishna advises Arjuna to practice this karma, karma, yoga throughout the first six chapters, he also implies that he ultimately wants Arjuna to practice bhakti yoga. Krishna makes this absolutely clear at the end of the sixth chapter. Yogi nam ape sarve sam. And of all yogis, he who worships me, yogi nam api sarve With transcendental love, he's the highest yogi of all. Krishna takes Arjuna up the ladder of yoga to illustrate the glory of bhakti. This glory of bhakti is twofold. Bhakti continues after one is liberated from material existence, whereas the other forms of yoga do not. Mm -hmm. The glory of bhakti is twofold. Bhakti continues after one is liberated from material existence, whereas the other forms of yoga do not. You understand? Bhakti, our love, loving God, continues. Whereas those yogis who simply want relief from material existence, their yoga, once they've obtained liberation, they've attained liberation. They've given up attachment to the material world and they're liberated from material existence. At that point, they don't need to practice yoga anymore. But for the bhakti yoga, our practice and our goal are the same thing. What's our practice? We're practicing to love God. What do we want? To love God. It's the same thing. So our practice and our goal is, is the same. And it continues. Even when we cease to have any attachment on this plane, and by ceasing that attachment, we're, quote, quote, liberated. A question. Yes. So, um, so Shiva is supposed to be the greatest 
yogi. And in his stage, I mean, he continues to meditate. Mm-hmm. So when you say that it stops after... When you say Shiva is the greatest yogi, yeah. what do we say about Shiva? He's the greatest devotee. Yes. So what's he meditating on? Well, what is our meditation? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna. What happens when we go to the spiritual world? What do we chant? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Same thing? Makes sense? Only when the heart has been purified, knowledge of the self has manifested, and one attains perfection in meditation, does mature bhakti manifest. The glory of bhakti is brought out in the Gita's first six chapters. The second glory of bhakti is the generosity and independence by which she extends herself to whomever she chooses, even those whose hearts are cluttered with material desire. She does so through the medium of Krishna's realized devotees who awaken faith in her E-F-F-I-C-A-C-Y. Efficacy? Efficacy. 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 It's something close to that. <laughs> yeah, but you're from a, you grew up in a different culture. You have a you have an excuse. I don't. Those those who tread the path of bhakti as a result of her generosity will gradually develop detachment, knowledge, and mental absorption in God, maturing gradually into bhakti proper the liberated yoga. Here Krishna utilizes the practice of yoga in general by stating its fruit, karma bandha prahisyatsi. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments that while the word yoga in this verse refers to selfless action in which the fruit of one's efforts are offered to God, a stage prior to bhakti, yoga also implies bhakti itself consisting of hearing and chanting, about God. Vishwanath Chakravarti senses that bhakti is implied here because bhakti is both the means to transcendental life as well as continued engagement in devotional life beyond the influence of material nature. Later in verse 45 of this chapter, Krishna implores Arjuna to attain this condition, nistrigunya, through the yoga practice that he is encouraging him to engage in here. So although we absorb ourselves in the knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, it is our it is the preliminary understanding of upon will which a foundation for spiritual practice is built. Still the the specifics of the yoga ladder that we're going to learn about need to be seen in the proper context of time, place, and circumstance. And we need to see our devotional practice, our practice in that context. Now what I mean by this is for us, we immediately, by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya, and the disciplic succession coming in his wake, we immediately take up a process of pure devotional practice. We don't have to gradually 
concentrate. We don't have to concentrate on becoming detached from our work. Although we want to become detached from work and we want to learn what Krishna's telling us here. And we want to employ this knowledge. But we don't have to concentrate separately on it. We don't have to concentrate separately on the practice of Astanga Yoga. We don't have to concentrate separately on attaining knowledge of the Veda. Everything that Krishna is going to outline for us in these coming weeks in our study of Bhagavad Gita, of the process of the yoga ladder, all of this is automatically accomplished by us by taking to this chanting and hearing process in pure devotional service. Our process is Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atma, Nivedanam. Hearing and chanting about the Lord, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Vishnu's a name for God. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smarna, remembering him. Padasevanam, worshipping his lotus feet. Who's situated at Krishna's lotus feet? Krishna's devotees. So when we worship Krishna's lotus feet, that includes Krishna's devotees. Padasevanam, Archanam, we worship the deity form of the Lord. We respect the deity form of the Lord. We travel around the world to visit the places of pilgrimage where there are the forms of the Lord. Vandanam, we offer prayers. Archanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, we become a simple servant. We don't aspire to be anything more than Das, Das, Anam, Das. Servant of the servant of the servant. It would be nice to be a cowherd boy frolicking with Krishna in, in Vrindavan, but we should know our position at this point is, let me just serve the pure devotees. <laughs> if Krishna wants to invite me, that's his business. We can go more into the development of the heart of, of, of loving Krishna, but our position is das, das, anu, das. Sakyam, we become friends with Krishna. <laughs> What's that mean? How do we become friendly with God? Good association. We, yes, very good. And we also, we, uh, we understand, what's a friend? A friend is somebody that's always looking out for our best interests. Mm-hmm. So we always are seeing the Supreme Lord as our best friend. If there's anybody looking out, is there any, if there's anybody that has our back, Krishna's got our back. And we try to surrender cent for cent. This is our process. We immediately take to the practice of pure devotional activity in the association of devotees under the direction of the bona fide spiritual master. And immediately our activities are on the transcendental platform. Krishna is going to give us good advice over the next weeks as we study Bhagavad Gita. But... Remember, the topmost advice for us right now is let's just go to the heart of the matter and put our concentration there. We don't need to concentrate on anything except chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Chanting sincerely. Hearing. Hearing this knowledge. Performing the prescribed activities of devotional service. Any questions on any of this? Yes. Would you please 
Briefly, Sankhya. Sankhya is a knowledge that wherein we can distinguish what is matter and what is spirit. It specifically deals with a pretty detailed analysis of the material end of things as presented by Lord Kapila to his mother Devahuti. So he basically, he breaks down matter. When we understand what is matter completely, as a consequence of that full understanding, we'll know what is spirit. It's not that. Anything else? Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna.